0: Attention bourbon lovers, are you ready for a taste sensation like no other? Old Raleigh Distillery, recently awarded Best Micro Distillery in the U.S., invites you to experience the art of whiskey blending firsthand. Located just east of Raleigh in downtown Zebulon, the distillery specializes in premium, micro batch bourbon, and limited release whiskeys. Visit the tasting room Tuesday through Sunday to savor a wide variety of whiskeys, specialty cocktails, wine, and beer. And don't miss a chance to peek behind the curtain with a tour of the blending operation every Saturday and Sunday at 1 and 2 p.m. For more information and to plan your visit, visit OldRaleighDistillery.com. Follow on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Old Raleigh Distillery for exclusive updates and behind-the-scenes content. Old Raleigh Distillery, where every sip tells a story.
1: We welcome you in a way that... They're, they're they're like hey this is the coolest party in town and you're the guests of honor we've been waiting for you the whole time mm-hmm. and that is everybody not just me because they know me that's every guest that comes through the door
0: it's the bar you go to when you're ready to celebrate it's the bar you go to when you've had a crappy day it's where you go that you just feel like it's your place
1: and it's a neighborhood
0: bar it's a neighborhood bar You're listening to Office Talk with Raleigh Magazine. I'm host, Gina Stevens. You may know Raleigh Magazine, but what you may not know is how we get our stories. It's all inside baseball from living our lives and having conversations in our city. You'd be surprised what people will tell us. So this podcast is where we give you inside access to the behind the scenes scoop. Things that were too hot to print or too much to fit in the magazine. Basically what's left on the editing room floor. Before we dive into today's episode, we want to take a moment to recognize all of you who are sending us messages about the show, and especially those who are leaving reviews. We truly appreciate it. Our Apple Podcast review of the week is from Dr. Captain Chef. Really enjoying this show so far. As a Raleigh native living in Durham, I like listening in to catch up on what's happening around town. Loving the inside scoop stories from Gina and Co. too. Best vibes in the city of Oaks. Thanks, Dr. Captain Chef. If you want to have your review read on our podcast, head to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. With me today is Kevin Barrett, owner and partner in what many believe is Raleigh's best overall bar, Dram & Draft. Kevin's here to talk about Raleigh's bar scene, how it's changed, and what's next for Dram & Draft. Kevin, thanks for joining me.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: I was trying to remember the first time I met you, and I think it was about a month after... The original location on Hillsborough Street opened, I can't believe that's been six years ago. Isn't that crazy when you think about you and Drew decided to open a bar six years ago and now you've got uh, three and three or four more on the way?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're coming up on seven years ago being open and that means that Drew and I decided to open a bar eight and a half or nine years ago because that first one took quite a while. Well, they all take quite a while, but that first one especially just to find a spot to have the concept evolve into what it became and what it is becoming took a long time. I can't believe it, it feels like a lifetime ago.
0: When you guys were sitting around talking about let's open a bar, what, did, what kind of bar did you want to open? What, what, what did you, what kind of feeling did you want it to have?
1: You know, I think it, it's close to what it became originally, and then of course it evolves on its own into what it is now, which isn't far from what it, what it started out as, but we really wanted a bar that focused on whiskey, had amazing cocktails, a good beer list as well, good draft beer lists in the name, Dram and Draft, right? Uh, but we also wanted it to be a neighborhood bar. We didn't want it to get too fancy, too snooty, too snobby. We didn't want to tell people what to drink and how to act. We wanted them to come experience great drinks and great whiskey selection and have fun. Still like a communal, a meeting place. You know, that's really what a bar should be, I think.
0: Well, on your website, yeah, I've never looked at it, FYI, until <laughs> last night when I was doing my homework for this because I've known you so long. It was like I just never looked at it.
1: How's it look? I haven't looked at it in it a while. It looks pretty later. good. <laughs> okay.
0: It's up to date.
1: We just but updated it, it, actually.
0: It's descri- I mean, it's described as a neighborhood bar, and and it's funny Sometimes people who haven't been there go, "Oh, that place looks really nice, and it looks fancy, and it looks expensive." And I was like, uh, "Yeah, I mean, it's not expensive. It's it's bourbon, and it is nice, mm-hmm. but it is a it is to me, it's truly that neighborhood bar, regardless of the people that have come in and left and stayed and worked for you. You know, it's it's like maybe because I go there so often, but I do kind of feel like it's my neighborhood bar." They know you. They get to know you quickly and what you like.
1: Mm -hmm. And we have been fortunate from the day we opened to have great staff, work with great people, and they have changed over the years. But uh, in my opinion, they've just gotten better and better. Our team mentality has gotten better and better. Our culture has gotten better and better. We hold on to that. We don't lose that even during the pandemic or whatever we're calling that 2020 thing that happened. Hell. (laughs) When we were shut down for over eight months straight, we reopened with the same staff that we closed down with. We never fired everybody. We, of course, you know, laid them off because we had to. But when we were ready to reopen, I think a lot of them had a choice of staying at home and uh, continuing to collect benefits, but every single person was ready to get off the couch and get back to work and, and open the bar again. That's the scariest part about opening a new location is losing some of that culture and that feel. I think the big difference is even though we have multiple locations in different cities, everyone that works there knows Drew and I, right? They've seen Drew and I, maybe not as often as here in Raleigh where, you know, I'm based and Drew is is in Cary. So maybe they see us here a little bit more often, but in Durham and in Greensboro, they see us, they know us. And there's people that have been there for a while that have seen us, known us, traveled with us maybe, mm. you know. They can kind of help deliver that message that uh, Drew and Kevin are are two guys that care about service. They care. They have a little bit of ego in this in this bar, you know. It's not just about being profitable. We want it to be a great bar for the neighborhood, for the city. We're not two nameless, faceless assholes.
0: <laughs> well, I, I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of other stuff, but I am curious – I mean, what it must have been like the day you got the phone call? Or you—you you knew it was a possibility you might have to move from the original yes, location.
1: it was always always hanging over our head.
0: Yeah. So was that daunting? Were you pissed? What? What? What was the feel?
1: I was sad. I almost cried in public when I got the call.
0: You know, I—I'm um, probably going to go out on a limb here. I liked the other spot a lot—the one Glenwood spot. And if you don't know that, then we should take your Raleighite card. You need to go have a drink at Dream and Draft, one Glenwood. No commercial. It's one of my favorite spots. But I like it because I think it's a more versatile space. I like the patio. I like the little space in the back.
1: I agree with most of that. I think um, we were heartbroken initially. We were fortunate to end up where we are now with a minimal lapse in service. We were terrified. Originally, they wanted to take us out of our, our spot at 623 Hillsborough street and put us right back there after they built that second tower, right in that same corner. And, you know, logistically speaking, we were thinking, so we'll be closed for two to three years. And of course they said, no, no 18 months. I was like, that's not a lot better anyway, even if that was realistic. So after many conversations, uh, we ended up on that corner on Morgan and, uh, and Glenwood. And it's a great spot. And once, once it was decided, we just plowed forward like we always do. And it was sad. I remember being closed. I think we, if I remember correctly, we closed in the middle of July on Hillsborough Street and we re- reopened 30 days later mm-hmm. in the middle of August in the new spot. And I was running around like a madman trying to get that new spot open because I just felt like every day that we were closed, we were letting our our client base down, you know, we were letting all our guests down and it was, uh, it was just heartbreaking. And the day that they took the, the heavy crane or or they took the excavator and that um, bucket came down on our building and crushed it. I was standing on the corner where our new spot is and I watched it and I thought, wow, I guess that's sad, but I've got too much to do right now to think about it. I got to run to the ABC and see if we can get our (laughs) permit, if we can open, I'll cry about this later, and I still never have like typical American meal. I just buried it down. I just stuffed it down deep inside. keep all the emotions down. There are plenty of people that tell me they miss the old spot, and I do as well. But like you said, the new spot is a little bigger. It's a little nicer. the outdoor area is better. For us we we can handle more more guests at once and um, you know, we fixed all the mistakes we made in the old spot and made a whole bunch of new ones.
0: A local icon since 1949 and where Raleigh comes to celebrate, savor, and enjoy. Village District is celebrating 75 years of tradition and taste. You can join the celebration for their 75th anniversary on Saturday, April 20th from 3 to 8 p.m. on Woodburn Road. Enjoy live music, pop-ups, a kid-friendly area, and the launch of their Village 75 beer, exclusively brewed by Standard Beer and Food. For more event details and other Village District happenings, you can follow Village District on Instagram at shopvillagedistrict, visit their website at shopvillagedistrict.com, or sign up to receive texts by texting the word village to 919-701-0202. Okay, so you, um, the next big one to open is Wilmington, which is pretty exciting because if I remember correctly, that's kind of where you got your start when you came from Philly to North Carolina.
1: Something like that. This is emotional, too. I loved Wilmington. Those were my love formative it. years. I was young and handsome and had my You're own. You're still young shop. and handsome. Thank you. You're oh, wait, right. wait, nod, nod. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I. I Spent a few years there, post-college post, post college graduation and pre-moved to Raleigh, and served, bartended, opened my own wine shop, learned a lot about the industry and about wine, liquor, and beer. Finally, a sommelier, a executive bourbon steward, and a Cicerone. I'm the, the real triple threat.
0: Ooh, triple threat. <laughs> Love that. Um. In our recent podcast, and go back and listen, if you haven't listened, we did a podcast on Fenton and a story in Raleigh Magazine called Fenton's Fab Five, which was Scott Crawford, Mike Lee, Ford Fry, and Steve Palmer, and you. That's a pretty good company list to be on.
1: Yeah, I don't know how I snuck into that article.
0: So I said this to Mike Lee, and I've said it to everybody. Carrie is fantastic. But we all kind of, from years ago, um, there wasn't a lot there, and and Carrie's really blossoming into something. What made you decide to do this project?
1: We had that project presented to us so long ago now. We looked at it, and we walked away. We were just like, it's too expensive. It's not really us. We don't necessarily belong there, and that was it. And then it it just sat. I, I think I had an email in my inbox that sat there for months. Until finally, I went back, I looked at it, and I thought to myself, maybe we should think about this again. And it was probably, coincidentally, right around the time that I heard Scott Crawford was opening a, a place there. So that, that kind of triggered it, and I've said it many times before, Drew and I thought about it, we weren't sure about it. When we heard Scott was going there, and then we heard Mike Lee was going there, it was, it was like, why wouldn't you want to be neighbors with those guys, Right. They're friends of ours, you know. They're local neighbors, and they just offer a great product. They're great operators. We we just like hanging out with them. So we'd like to be there. And then when we heard that uh, Ford Fry and Steven were coming, it just kind of affirmed our our feelings, right? Our suspicions. Let's let's get there. All the premier people are going to be there. Let's sneak in there <laughs> and try to fit in. Try not to stand out. Uh,
0: yeah. Funny, funny. You are on that list, and and I'll give you. Uh 30 seconds to do a commercial. Tell me about the space and what's going to be different from downtown or Wilmington or what what makes that, spe- that space special.
1: Yes, there's a couple things. And first of all, we're going to have food there. We're going to serve food. So we'll be opening probably around noon and we'll be serving probably a lunch centric menu. That's a big difference. That's we huge. Have, uh, yeah, that is. That's huge for Who, us. And do you it, have a it, chef yet? It, it changes a lot of things for us. Well, Drew Shank is, he's not a chef. He's not going to Tell you he's a trained chef, but he has lots of experience Mm -hmm. in the restaurant industry. He owned uh, Rally Point for almost ten years. Best bar Uh, food in Raleigh, Cary for a long time. Sports bar food. So the focus is still going to be the drinks, and our goal is to have the food, you know, match up with the drinks. But the focus is the drinks, and we'll be open late. We'll probably stop serving food at some point in time and continue the drinks until midnight or two a.m., like all our other locations. But we have this amazing rooftop bar. That's going to be beautiful. It's what I've wanted since the original location. We actually talked about putting a rooftop on that building, and I, I pretty much got laughed <laughs> off the kind phone of a short call building. from the, the architects. And, the you know, they're just like, yeah, that's not going to work there. And if it did, it would cost this much money. And I was like, well, how much do we have? Oh, that's more than what we have. Okay, <laughs> so we can't do a rooftop bar. Um, so I'm finally getting my rooftop bar. And Drew's wanted a rooftop bar for a while, too. And then we have this uh, huge outdoor seating area, right? So the interior is actually pretty small, you know, pretty concentrated. And and then we have a little bit of room for a kitchen, but we have this amazing rooftop and we have a huge outdoor seating area that leads into Scott Crawford's Steakhouse and Mike Lee's M Sushi and the amazing Fenton development. There's so much out there. I think it's a place that you know, as much as I, I used to joke about going to Cary, every time I went there, I got lost, <laughs> and I didn't go there that often, right? but um, I think it's a place that I'm going to want to be hanging out mm-hmm. at. And Drew lives basically around the corner. He'll be there probably quite a bit, enjoying the Fenton Dram and Draft and the other other offerings they have out there.
0: I feel like Raleigh's getting a lot of new bars,
1: sure. Absolutely. and and
0: they're a lot more on the horizon some Mm -hmm. cocktail bars coming, some good bourbon bars, people that you respect. But but looking at it from a different lens, if you will, how would you say we stack up? Now, take New York, Chicago, and L.A. out of the mix and talk about, you know, cities that are comparable to Raleigh. How do you think our bar scene stacks up?
1: You can't compare to New York, I don't think. Uh, There's just so many great things up there, and it's constantly changing and churning and on the cutting edge of everything. But ultimately, I think Raleigh is great. It stacks up pretty well. We can do better, right? But I think we're constantly doing better. The great places out there are getting better every day. Ten years ago or so, you know, the big cocktail revolution hit Raleigh, and the best thing that that did was get even mediocre bars using fresh juice, right? I mean, that's just such a big step. And I think most of the bars, at least most of the bars I go to, or at least using fresh juice. Now, the level of, uh, you know, talent and competency when it comes to mixing classic cocktails or or coming up with their own signature cocktails varies. But, I, you know, I appreciate the effort and the, uh, the enthusiasm. And, again, it, just using fresh juice and, and making your own syrups and things like that take you so far in the right direction that I, I'm proud that Raleigh's... Uh, I mean, it's it's at a good level. It compares to um, compares favorably to most cities around this size, right? And again, you can't compare it to New York. No, no,
0: I said throw those out. He didn't listen. I did listen. I just I'm thinking about New York now. I said take New York, Chicago, and L.A. out of the mix. Those cities are gone. Comparable cities to Raleigh. You know, you always hear us compared to. Austin and Seattle and Salt Lake and Nashville. And and, Nashville is hard to compare because it's like, for the love of God, how many many bars
1: could you put on one street? Yeah, I think we certainly have the quality here. Uh, Do we have as many quality places as Seattle or Austin? I don't know, but we definitely have the quality here. There are some great spots out there, and I do believe there's there's more and more every day. And that's a source of pride for me because I love the city.
0: You and I have talked about this a couple of times is – in some of the major cities, being a bartender or server is a profession. It's not a job that you have when you're in college on the way to something else. It's a chosen profession. And our city doesn't necessarily – I think we're starting to see it that way. Do you think we're moving in the right direction in terms of a livable wage? And, and this is not so much about DRAM. This is just from you as a you know previous bartender to now an employer – are we making that move and what do we need to do?
1: I think we are heading in that direction. And I think that much like working in the kitchen is a career in a restaurant, being a server is the other side of that and that can be a career. Mm-hmm. Being a bartender is certainly you're you're not you're not a chef. I'm a bartender. Chefs burn themselves and cut <laughs> their fingers. I'm too fragile for that. But I still like <laughs> to make stuff, right? Right. And you so, do. Yes. And and I think what we're trying to do now at DRAM, and I think that what a lot of people are trying to do in this city also is, um, well, I'm trying to do all the things that I wanted somebody to do for me when I was a bartender, mm-hmm. right? And there wasn't much out there, but a little more pay, some bonus structure, paid time off, health insurance or help with health insurance or some sort of stipend for that. And again, maybe it's not for everybody, but maybe your management at least, Um we're working on a lot of the, those things now, and we're not there yet, but we're working on it. And I know there are other people in this city that are working on it as well, and that is great. And that's not maybe for every spot. Some spots are they, – they work on that model where there's just some college kids that come hey. through for a couple of years, and, and then they move on, and then some new college kids come in and work there. That's and those fine. are fun spots that yes, we all love exactly. and that
0: we all have a good time at, and there is nothing wrong with that. But when you it's, get to a point, you know, it it's a profession.
1: And there's fun bars out there, too, that don't use fresh juice. They're called dive bars, and I love them, Oof. too. I just, yeah, I think uh, there there's so many different levels and so many different uh, categories in, in the hospitality. Oh. So I think that for what we're doing and for places like us, we're trying to turn it into a profession. And even, I mean, I was reluctant to admit it was profession for years. Somebody called it my profession once, and I was like, "No, no, it's not. I'm doing. I'm gonna do some. No, this is what I'm doing. This is my profession." You know, I think I would have come to that realization a lot sooner if I was getting paid more than two thirteen an hour and yeah. had like a name and an identity instead of just a number and like collect your zero dollar paycheck and your tips and go home. We're trying to make people feel like they're part of something, right? right. Yeah, part of something.
0: Well, and I, and I I think that's how you keep people. That's how you you make them, they feel the loyalty, no matter, wh- no matter whether it's a restaurant bar or a restaurant server or my team, it's how you create loyalty.
1: I think that's absolutely right. And it, oftentimes it's as important or more important than actual money, right? It's it to be, feel, to feel part of something, feel appreciated. And to know that you have uh, employers out there that are actually working on making your experience better and i think for the first few years i i think i just worried so much about the guest experience and that's all we focused on You have
0: to i yeah. mean i do the same thing with the magazine i worry about you know when they pick it up are they going to love the cover because the reality is if they don't like the cover they're not going to read the rest of the magazine you should they put meant, me on the cover I sh- more. every month there you go <laughs> cover girl see he's vain i told you but but i i get i mean you were worried about every everything from the minute they open the door to who says hello to them when they walk through the experience they have and i think you got to have business to be able to pay the wages to offer the, the the benefits so it's not a bad thing it's just it's part of the evolution of it
1: yeah it's probably is part of the evolution and i i was um Wound very tight when we first opened. Still probably wound a little tight, but I was-, I was You've uh, mellowed a little bit. <laughs> I've mellowed but, a little but
0: bit. But I was wound too. I mean, it's funny. I was thinking about this last night a lot. So mm-hmm. I'm seven years old this month, the oh. magazine is. So I'm technically a second grader mm-hmm. and you're a first grader because you're- about one to be a second grader. About though, to be a second yeah. grader. I mean, I had had partners and owned businesses. I've said on the podcast before. I I built Midtown, owned that Pinehurst, Carey Living, um, and sold them. But when you go out on your own and do it, I mean, you've got a partner, but it's a different feeling when it's mm-hmm. you're wound a little tight for a while.
1: Sure, absolutely, yeah. The uh,
0: details matter.
1: Yeah, I was uh, when we first opened. I wanted the toilet paper. <laughs> you know, installed in a certain way in the <laughs> toilet paper dispensers on and on and on, you know, it kind of things like that, that, um, you it's know, still details important. are important, right? But that's not something I need to, um,
0: just make sure there's toilet paper in the back. Yes, yes. That's, that's, that's <laughs> the important
1: part. That whichever way it's installed, I don't know, somebody could change. I don't know. It's not that important, right? It details are important, but there were more important details that I could have been paying attention to. Yeah,
0: back then. You know? I think it all worked. Campbell University School of Law offers a wholly online or in-person two-semester patent law certificate program designed for technology executives, engineers, paralegals, and more. The deadline to apply for the patent law certificate program is August 1st. Learn more and apply at law.campbell.edu. This podcast, a lot of it is not about what's necessarily in the magazine, but it's about how we get our stories. And I joke, How this chat with Kevin came about is I was joking with my team that I get some of my best stories or our best stories sitting at the bar at Dram and Draft very often talking to Kevin and Drew. And they're not stories about Dram. They're just industry stories. Um, Sometimes it's about Dram. I always am asking. Um, He'll tell you I'm a little obnoxious about trying to say, so when are you opening? What day? When can I tell people? Persistent. Yeah, that's better than obnoxious. Um, But... Over the last year, we've done a bunch of stories on mocktails and dry January and low ABV beers. And I noticed the last time I was, he invited me to the Christmas party, by the way, which was in what, March? They had their Christmas party for the staff. And he invited me in and I noticed on the menu that there was ABV on every cocktail. And I hadn't seen that anywhere. It's kind of like how obnoxious I feel. It's that love-hate relationship you have with your favorite restaurant menu and you see the dish you want, and then the calories are beside it, and you're like, okay, I can't have that. So it's kind of the same relationship. I
1: didn't think of it that way.
0: It, it's kind of the same thing. I want that green goddess cocktail, but ooh. So what made you guys do this? And I'm curious, how do you figure out the ABV on a cocktail?
1: Well, we – there's <laughs> actually a website that helps us do that a lot. And okay. uh, I'd say Lance and our regional director, kind of – Oversees that and double checks all of that stuff. And I'd love to say that I came up with the brilliant idea myself because I'm so smart and handsome, but
0: <laughs> he always I, throws hands I, I,
1: <laughs> I have to give all the credit to my friend southern Teague from Memorial Margot up in Manhattan. I was listening to his podcast and he was talking about how all of the uh all the bars that he oversees now have ABV on the menu. And I just thought, oh, course, like that's so so brilliant, right? So I texted him about it. And I was just like, hey, I'm gonna do it. What you know, I actually asked him, how do you calculate you have a good way to do that? And uh so finally we did it, of course. And I told him I was like, I I I told him, I said, my smart, handsome friend up north, I got the idea from him. And he said, Great, send me a picture of it. So I did, (laughs) and he was super happy with it. So it was his idea. And I heard him on the Speakeasy podcast talking about it. I uh, stole the idea from him with his blessing. But it does make sense. It's the more information you give the guest, the better. We list all the ingredients, mm-hmm. right? So why not tell them how strong it is? Uh, we also put a V on there for vegan drinks, and most of them are vegan. One of the people we work with in Durham, that was their idea. You know, not everything is vegan, though. Some right. have cream right. in it. Some have egg whites in it. And people, you know, the more you know, But at least great. you're
0: telling them. Yeah. Yes.
1: And uh, – ABV though is, you know, you can sit down and have a couple of uh, old fashions or Manhattans and they're a little boozier, a little mm-hmm. stronger. And then you can see that they're about 30% alcohol. I think they're 31, 32%, something like that. And maybe after you have one or two, you can slow down and back off and have a either a low ABV or a no ABV cocktail. Take a break, then come back and have another drink or something stronger or stay on the the lower scale, the lower end of the spectrum. It makes sense. and. What sold me on it was I I asked a friend about it, and she said, oh, God, I wish I wish every place did this. Why doesn't every place do this? Yeah. So I, I we've gotten great feedback about it. It's not one of those things that everyone holds up the menu and says, oh, they have ABV. But everyone that I, I say, hey, did you notice the ABV? They're like, yes. Oh, that's so great. I'm so glad you did that.
0: It is. And we're going to do a, a larger story on it in our June issue, which will be out on June 1st. So pick up a copy. But we talk about that, and and, and and I think people are becoming more conscious, whether it's for health reasons, whether it's just because they want to extend the life of their night.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And they want to have a few more drinks. But whatever reason, I think people are being more conscious of it and paying attention to it. I've noticed this, and I know there are a few other bars in town that do it, but not everybody does. You guys create an entirely new menu seasonally. Mm-hmm. And almost every drink is created by a different bartender or mm-hmm. every bartender has a couple of drinks. A, that's time-consuming, and B, that's expensive. Why do you do it?
1: You know, that's you, you're, you're selling me against it. It <laughs> is so time-consuming and expensive, and it's the most stressful. But I love
0: it. I, as a consumer, oh. I love going in and trying a new drink. And I also love if I go in now and I go, I want the Green Goddess which will Mm -hmm. never go away, I hope, because it's a gin drink I like, (laughs) that, you know, there's something new to try.
1: Yeah, it is super stressful, and four times a year we're in a panic to get everything done, all the supplies in, sign off on all the drinks, and I mentioned Lentz earlier. He he and I probably are running around like madmen right before the menu because we taste all the drinks and sign off on them, and and, (laughs) – Decide because everybody from all the locations submits their recipes, and some are great and they're going to make it. Some are great and they're just not right for that menu, and some just need to be workshopped a little bit more so they're not ready. Maybe they come back the next menu. But the reason why we do it is because that's how I drink. Depending on the season, you know, my taste changes whether it's spring Mm -hmm. or fall, whether it's summer or winter. Even the way I drink whiskey straight in the winter, I'm more apt to drink it neat, right out of the bottle. And in the summertime, I'm probably going to have a cube or two. And it's as simple as that. So also in the wintertime, I'm going to fall and winter, I'm probably going to drink an old-fashioned or a Manhattan. In the spring and summer, I'm probably going to drink tequila and gin more often. So our focus, of course, is whiskey, but also cocktails. So we'll probably, we'll always have a whiskey, couple mm-hmm. whiskey drinks, uh, cocktails on the menu, but in the spring and summer, you might see more gin and tequila, right? I think that makes sense. I think people do appreciate it.
0: Well, you're probably responsible, or at least Dram and Draft is responsible for our, one of our recent podcast episodes where Melissa and I argued over vodka versus gin. And we all know that gin is far superior to gin vodka. Gin is the winner, yes. Gin, gin for the win at yes. every time. I'm glad
1: we're unanimous on that.
0: Um, so I have to tell this story again because I've told it before, but Kevin's here so last year, the magazine went to the printer on the 19th, which happens to be my birthday. And so I just sent out a mass email to everyone I knew and said, I'm holding court at Dram and Draft. And I, if you can come by, drop by. Well, I walk in, and the bartender behind the bar immediately says, We're out of a conniption, American. And I was like, I'll take the Sorry Navy. That,
1: by the way. And he goes, no, Melissa no, too. but somebody else it. <laughs> and Alex.
0: And, and the, but the funny part was he goes, but I've got the Navy. And I said, that's fine. And Kevin goes, nope, she can't drink Navy. He goes, she's going to be here a long time, and we don't want her to drink Navy. I still have never had the Navy.
1: Speaking of proof, right, the, the, the ABV yeah. of drinks. That's well, you exactly. knew I was going
0: to have several.
1: I, well, look, there's a big difference between um, something that's – alcohol and something that's 57% alcohol. That's a big jump, I I think. And I love Navy strength. and I love the conniption Navy strength. And there are certain times where I very much want that, even if it's just a gin and tonic, right? Right. Sometimes in cocktails, you need something with a little bit more backbone to balance against it. But that would have been a mistake for you. (laughs) That would have been a very
0: big mistake. (laughs) And
1: yeah, Navy strength is so funny. I've heard so many stories on Navy strength. It's a
0: you got to love it, though, when you walk in and the bar owner already knows you well enough to know that you don't need to be drinking Navy. <laughs> so just well, just for fun.
1: It's for certain occasions, right?
0: Yes. I mentioned earlier, and Draft is the only four-time winner of Raleigh Magazine's Best Overall Bar, which is – I'm pretty proud of that award. Back up. Let me give you some um, – Some history on this. So for the last five years, Raleigh Magazine hosts an event in February. We ask our readers from November through the end of December to vote on their favorite wine bar, beer bar, bottle shop, and whiskey bar, and then their best overall. And I always describe that as it's the bar you go to when you're ready to celebrate. It's the bar you go to when you've had a crappy day. It's where you go that you just feel like it's your place. And that's a neighborhood bar. It's a neighborhood yeah. bar. And Dram is the only bar in Raleigh that's won it four years running in a row. So you know there are a bunch of people coming for you. How do you keep that up?
1: That's funny. The whole time you were talking, I was thinking about the five-timer. You know, I was thinking about winning the fifth one. Yeah. And the sign that we'll put up, Five Timers Club.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> this year, we're going to add something new. We're going to do best bartender, and there's not going to be a first runner-up and a second runner-up and a third runner-up and a Miss Congeniality. Mm -hmm. There's going to be one award. And since KB Barman, you, cannot win this, and beyond your bar, your bar included, but a few others, tell me, throw out some bar names you know, I bar just might and bartenders. of retirement. I might no, shake, dust y- off these y- old shakers. You can't. And, you don't yeah. have time. You got seven bars. Yeah, I, I so, so do me a favor and let's give these, hopefully our listener, a, um, an idea on a couple of bartenders and bars across town. And you're welcome to throw out one at, at, at your bar, of course. But but a couple of others that you recommend that they go and, and do some research
1: for the voting. Obviously at and Draft. I think all of our bartenders could and should win. Right? But I love them. I, I do. I, I love them. I think they're great, and I, I would love for one of them to win it. I, I would be happier about that. I think than winning winning best bar for Dram and Draft. I'd be happier about one of them winning best bartender.
0: But is there someone who stands out? Who's probably? Come on! I, so I, I can't have four say that children. Yes, you can. I have four children, and I love them all. But. Everybody's at a different stage in their maturity level, so is is there one or two, and then you got to move on to somebody else.
1: Well, that's. I think you're right. It, it is. It is um, kind of like one of the steps on your your process of becoming a really <laughs> great bartender, right? Because at some point in time, when you first get into it, it's not important, and you're not going to win it. Then right. you're really learning it, and you're kind of in your prime, and you you want it. And then, at a certain point, you're beyond that, and you're not okay. looking for awards or prizes anymore. you're kind of established. So, yes, there are certain spot. people that work at and Draft that are at that spot right okay. now that really,
0: he's a wimp. Come on, you're not okay, okay, we'll move on. Let's look at other bars around town.
1: Uh, okay. okay I, I'm gonna how about this? I will think about it while you tell me what places you would recommend people go. You know, Can we do that?
0: Sure, absolutely. I will openly admit I'm a bourbon drinker and I'm a gin and tonic drinker. And I'm not the fancy frou frou cocktail. However, the Green Goddess stands out beyond belief for me. That's one of my favorite dram and draft cocktails currently. I don't know if you know if it's on, it's on the menu, but... That's
1: who I think should win best bartender, the green goddess.
0: Okay, so who made that? Drink?
1: No, no, just the green goddess. Uh, the green don't goddess. Don't read into it too much. No.
0: <laughs> okay, I will do the research and come back next time and tell you who made the green goddess. Um, but, you know, I am a big fan. And again, I say I'm a bourbon drinker and... I'm a gin and tonic drinker, so I'm probably not the best person to choose. But for me, a bartender is the same thing as a good restaurant. I'm not a foodie. I like good food, but I'm not choosing it because they have the most unique menu or they do the coolest, the weirdest thing. I like good atmosphere. I like a friendly staff. I like an approachable menu. So I'm the same way about my bars. I like it when I feel at home. I like it when somebody makes me feel like they know me and they fake it well, even if they don't. I, I like Annie Betty's. I like Greg's Gin and Tonic. I like going to Atlantic Lounge, and I like I like the cocktails, even though they are super strong, that Doug makes me. You know, so I have a few places if somebody said, you know, where do you want to go that are my go-tos beyond Dram and Draft. A lot of it has to do with more than just the drink for me, so it's hard Absolutely. for me. It har- yeah. it's really hard for me to separate the bartender out because atmosphere means a lot to me. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the challenge for us in in judging the bartender piece. But we're going to ask our our one listener to vote. Um, but those are, those are two of my favorites. Clovis was featured in the magazine last time, and I he wasn't even coming to the Best Bars party, and I'm like, you got to come because his body, he was in the photo. I think you guys do great drinks. Um, I think the Merchant does good drinks.
1: Yes, I, um, I agree. I think there's so many. I don't want to n- name a list because I feel like I'm going to leave somebody out, and I don't want to snub anybody. There are a lot of great spots out there, and I think – what you're saying about, you know, not just the drink being important, it's absolutely true. And years ago, you know, I, I'm, I learn as I get older, but years ago, I used to think the drinks were the only thing that was important. Mm. When we do training, we go over, you know, the five pillars of service. That's what we call them at Draft. What are those? I actually call them the five pillars of service, according to Kevin Barrett, period, <laughs> end of story. It's kind of, you know, we climb one through three, and three is the pinnacle, and then we go four and five, and uh, drinks used to be the pinnacle, and and it's not. It's it's on the second tier. The most important thing is service, right? Mm-hmm. We can define that in a lot of different ways, but the first thing is um, the greeting when you walk in the door. You know, smile. That's what we say, smile. So you want me to tell this story?
0: Yeah, I okay. do. Go ahead.
1: So I... Came up with this right before we opened Dram and Draft, and the place that I came up with it was at Stanbury. It was on my – Stanbury is a, a fantastic restaurant that everyone should go to. Their drinks are pretty good too. Delicious. There you go. There's my, there's my pitch. Um, and they have great bartenders. But I used to stop there on my way home because it's a, a mile up the street from my house, and I used to sit there. I'd stop in for a glass of wine or I'd stop in for dinner and a glass of wine or an appetizer and a glass of wine. But always always a glass, of a glass of wine, yes. Uh, and I used to look around and be like, "Man, how what what makes this place work?" Because it does work so magically and fantastically. And uh, I told Joseph Jeffers, one of the owners over there, about this. And i I hope he, I hope he appreciated how much of a compliment it, it was. But whenever I walked in there, and I knew everybody that worked there, I knew the owners, obviously, right. Whenever I walked in there. There is a hostess or a host or a hostess with a beautiful smile that would just welcome you in with that smile. If they weren't at the host stand, you look past them to, you know, one of the ugly bartenders would look up and smile. I'm just saying that because I know I the know, bartenders are. And they have an open kitchen. So if that didn't happen, then you look into the kitchen and one of the people cooking would look up and smile. It was a very welcoming feeling and it happened every single time. And it happened not just to me, but to anybody that walked through the door. And then right after that, there's somebody that comes up and greets you, whether it's the host or one of the servers or or Joseph, you know, one of the owners will come up and say, hey, how's it going? And they welcome you in a way that they're, they're, they're like, hey, this is the coolest party in town and you're the guest of honor. We've been waiting for you the whole time. Yeah. And that is everybody, not just me, because they know me. That's every guest that comes through the door. And then for us, uh, well, for every place, the third most important thing, and this is the pinnacle, right, is service. And service can be defined in a lot of different ways. They have great service there because they have a great team. We have a great team, and they work as a team, right? Mm -hmm. And they have it even harder because they have servers, they have bartenders, they have the kitchen people, and the whole place works as a great team. And then the fourth one is the product. For us, it's the cocktails. And then the fifth thing, of course, is ambiance, which is everything I just mentioned, plus lights, temperature, and music. And that is there are so many places that ignore... Those final details. The lighting's wrong. It's too bright at night, or it's too so dark that I can't even see the menu, much right. less, you know. And, and uh temperature changes. You know, some places are, are smaller than others, and you have to adjust as it gets busier. And of course, music. Listen, I don't care what music mm. you play. It just has to fit the place and right. fit the model. If and I'm not going too loud. Too, and it, not too loud. Not too, too soft. soft. Right. But then there are places, you know, if you're if it's a club, no, right, yes, right, right. make it no, loud and make absolutely. it really fast and, and, and loud. That's fine. But I, I hate going into a place. That doesn't and, fit. Yes. And I order a cocktail and I'm sitting there trying to talk to somebody because that's the kind of place it feels like. But the music's so loud and, you know, there's so much bass that you can't have a conversation with the person next to you. That that doesn't make sense unless you're at a club or something it's, like that. It's right?
0: a lot of moving parts.
1: Yes, I mean, is. it
0: really is. And sometimes, for the as I feel like I'm pretty well versed, um, I've been in all fifty of Raleigh magazine's um, winning bars, which I'm not sure is a good thing or a bad thing. But I have
1: sounds like a fun thing.
0: It is. <laughs> I had fun doing it. Sometimes you can't put your finger on what isn't right, but you just know something isn't. And and yeah. so somebody like you, you know, who has experience doing all of this, clearly can figure out what the what what's missing and what's not. Um, so you didn't like my question and clearly didn't answer it, so that's okay. So you're probably not going to answer these either. Okay, so before we get started, what are we drinking? Because okay. <laughs> um, you know how you invite the best person to chat with you on a podcast? It should be based on what they bring for you to
1: drink. So what are we drinking? I always bring something. Um, this is our single barrel Elijah Craig, single barrel select. So at all the DRAMs currently— we have a barrel that we choose ourselves. Drew and I, Lentz, sometimes participates in this, and we this happened to be a 12-year Elijah Craig. They ship us the entire barrel, but they have to bottle it first, right? State and, and federal laws for shipping alcohol. They bottle it, but they ship it with the barrel, and when we get it, we take the barrel, we drill a hole in the top, we pour all the bottles back into the barrel, and then we serve it directly out of the barrel. we put a, a little spigot on the side of the barrel, and, um, and we always hold back a few bottles. So that's what this is. And I do not open these for everybody. This is a, a rare occurrence that I break one of these open. In my mind, I'm saving these for a museum or something. You know, that's, not, that's never going to happen. I felt special.
0: Okay, we're special.
1: <laughs> but, it well, and the great thing is we always choose a great whiskey. And then when you put it back in the barrel, it continues to age and mature mm-hmm. And and it's different every time you taste it. And it's such an interesting – for us initially, it was such an interesting experiment. For the guests, I think it's just an interesting experience to come in, taste it today, and then come in literally two weeks later and it tastes totally different. I was blown away by how quickly it changes in the barrel.
0: You know, I hadn't thought about that. I really hadn't thought that it keeps aging in the barrel. How long does a barrel typically last
1: you when you do it? You know, it – it varies a bit. We used to just serve the whiskey. I see, right now, probably about three months. Okay. Three I was months. just
0: curious because I always wondered about that.
1: Yeah, it's it's a pretty quick turnaround now. We serve the whiskey out of the barrel, and then we also use it in our old fashions often. Not every mm-hmm. single time, but often. So that helps uh, move it. And that's pretty much what we want to do because every while it sits in that barrel – you know, it's a great experience, but it, while sitting there, you're you're losing product, right? Mm-hmm. It evaporates slowly, but but it evaporates, and some of it gets sucked back into the wood, and you never get that back. So, the longer it sits there, the the more product you move, so or the more product you lose. So, you want to move it. You want to keep keep right. those barrels. That's another fun process. Yes, like the menu change every four months. I'm sure.
0: <laughs> okay, so at the end of each podcast, we do kind of a rapid fire of questions. I'll ask you and then I'll answer pass. for me. You don't, you know, nope. <laughs> nope. we're going to stay here. It's going to be like Jeopardy. You're not leaving until you answer. Okay. So. What is pass?
1: Okay. I'm ready.
0: What's your favorite bourbon right now? Your go-to.
1: Okay. It changes, yes. but I usually lock into something for, for, you know, a couple months, maybe. Currently it is Old Forester 1910. Why? And that is. You know, I really, I love Old Forester. period, but the 1910 is in celebration of a fire that they had uh, back in 1910, where they had to take a bunch of barrels and uh, the barrels, I guess, were a little fire and smoke damage. So they took the product out of those barrels, put them into new barrels. So it's basically a double-barreled bourbon. And there's other double-barreled bourbons out there that are great, but this one just has the right kind of like intensity of flavor and, and richness they appreciate it. And the way I drink it, too, is maybe a little different. This changes also. How do you drink it? Currently, I drink it with, uh, you know, three or four dashes of Angostura bitters over ice with a lemon twist. And that's just, it's huh. kind of old-fashioned-esque. You know, usually we use an orange zest instead of a lemon with old-fashioned. There's no sugar, right? And I, you know, love a good old-fashioned, but for as much as I drink whiskey, I don't need sugar in it every time yeah. I drink it.
0: Okay, so to answer the same question, I um I've been a Templeton four year for quite a while. It's drinking bourbon, but it's not drink I mean, it it's It's nice. No, it's a rye. Yeah. And it's it's nice and it's smooth. But I will say I have got I have ventured, you'll be proud of me. I'm beginning to believe that there is something to the hard to find and expensive. So the weller Mm. twelve year. I found when I was traveling with my girlfriends in Phoenix and I bought a bottle, I paid way too much for it. I paid like $25 for a bottle yeah. and flew back with it, expecting not to like it, expecting, to, you know, that whole, just cause it's more expensive. I'm telling you, I could have drank that entire bottle. It's that was so yeah. good. And
1: it's, uh, well, it's great. And I remember 10 years ago, maybe oh, this is long ago already. We used to be able to buy that for $30, $35 a bottle, yeah. buy the case. And, I mean, at one point in time, Old Weller 107 And the bar I was working at, at the time, that was our our well whiskey that we uh. made Old Fashions with because Old Weller 107 is the best bourbon to make an Old Fashioned with, probably period, end of story. Really? Oh, yeah. It's so great because it's overproofed and there's so much great flavor in it. <sighs> and then you put it in an Old Fashioned with a little bit of sugar – a touch of bitters and you're, you're just, you're mellowing it out with a little, you know, you're stirring it and just chilling it down and watering it down. You're just, I'm going to say sand off the rough edges, but there are no rough edges right. and just, all that great flavor still comes through. It, it's amazing. And especially when you're paying 30, $35 a bottle. Uh, yeah. Not when at 225. Paying, yes, Every time I poured a drink,
0: I was like, Oh, this is costing me. So when you're making a drink, what's your go-to drink to impress someone? Now, I don't mean whiskey. I mean, if you're like mixing one, you, Kevin, trying to impress a friend or a lady, Mm -hmm. what is your go-to?
1: You know, it's a good question. I I think it just depends on the person, right? I think that's what makes a good bartender. And Mm -hmm. I like to think that I used to be a good bartender, but you got to read the person or get a couple clues to figure it out. I mean, you know, I, I love bourbon. I love whiskey, so an old-fashioned or a Manhattan. That's my kind of girl. She's drinking that. <laughs> but uh, also, you know, if somebody that is more on the gin right. direction, a last word is one of the greatest drinks ever made.
0: Okay. Period.
1: End of story.
0: <laughs> so one question, and you're probably not going to answer this one either because you're being difficult. In Raleigh, if you're not drinking at DRAM, what, where do you go to drink? Where are you having a bar? drink?
1: If I'm in Raleigh. In Raleigh. I'm not drinking and at And you can't
0: have a drink at DRAM, your own bar. So where do you go?
1: At home, on my couch.
0: Well, I'll leave it at that because <laughs> clearly he is There's too politically places. correct. There's so many great places. I know. Out. He doesn't There's want to. There's too X. many to list.
1: There's yeah. too many to list. There are a lot. And I'll tell you this. I think that we all got out of our habits and our patterns after 2020. For me, just being in this business and, and – working with so many people over the years and knowing so many people, I used to bounce around to so many places and say hi to, you know, friendly bartenders and places that I liked and owners that I knew. And um, I think we all kind of got out of that habit. I know I did for so long. We reopened and I would just hang out at DRAM or my couch. And that got very boring. I I feel like really in just in the last few months, I've gotten back into that habit of bouncing around, seeing old friends you know saying asking them how everything's going drinking a great drink and tipping the shit out of it amen what you should all do
0: absolutely thanks for coming in to chat
1: it's been my pleasure
0: this has been office talk with Raleigh magazine I hope after hanging out with us you feel more like a Raleigh insider you can find copies of our magazine around town or subscribe for $10 for 10 issues We'd love it if you gave this podcast a rating and review and share it with your friends. This podcast was edited and produced by Airfluence. I'm Gina Stevens. We'll see you again soon.